our own words very seriously. Neither our own words nor the words of other people. I was thinking about it this past week, how we live in what you might call the day of the four-hour appointment window. Uh, right, the, the, the Comcast serviceman doesn't say he's coming at 10 a.m. He says he's coming sometime between 8 a.m. and 12 p.m., and we still suspect he might not show. <laughs> That's just kind of how it works today. Because our words are weak. One of the reasons I think that this is so is that we are today constantly bombarded with words. Words on billboards, words on your phone, words in your earbuds, words from your toddler, everyone's got their own blog, words, words, words. And we actually get used to ignoring words, therefore, every day, sort of as a form of survival. Because you can't take them all in, it almost feels like you can't take them all seriously, doesn't it? And so here's what I think happens We see most words as throwaway, optional as far as listening is is concerned. And so when we really want to get, give some weight to our words, when we really want to be heard, well, we turn to a couple strategies. Uh, We raise the volume, (laughs) right? Or we write in all caps. Maybe that's some of you. Everything is all caps when you want to be heard. Or we increase the number of our words, where we repeat what we say, or we explain ourselves with more and more words. Or some of us might try to turn to a a magic formula, where you're speaking, and then you stop and interrupt yourself, and you say, but to be honest, which of course means what? You weren't honest up till that point. To be honest, we say, or or, 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 I'm, I'm serious, I'm serious now, or I swear this is true. All these ways in which we feel like we need to distinguish what we really want to carry weight when we speak because our words are weak. Do you know that God cares about our words? He cares about words. In fact, you know, his main form of communication with humanity has been through words, even written words which is what we know as the Bible. And the words of the Bible themselves show us again and again how God himself is a person of his word. Lying at the heart of the Christian faith is a God who makes promises and who keeps his word. And so it shouldn't surprise us maybe to hear Jesus tell us that we too, like the God who has loved us so, like the God whom we love, that we too should be people of our word. Which is what Jesus is getting at at this teaching about oaths from the Sermon of the Mount. But what's an oath and what does that have to do with any of us? Have you taken one lately? Maybe so. You may or may not know that an oath is a solemn promise for which you publicly call upon God to hold you accountable. For example, military service men and women, we might note this Memorial Day weekend, take an oath of office or an oath of enlistment. 
If you've testified as a witness in court, you've raised your right hand and you have promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that's an oath. A wedding vow, that's a sort of oath as well. And so in verse 33, Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Because, you know, the Bible is pretty clear that we must fulfill our oaths and our vows. For instance, in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says this, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. But this is what was going on in Jesus' day. They heard these instructions and they said what maybe you're saying to yourself already, but who really keeps their promises like this anyway? I mean, right? How, how do you know whether an oath or a vow really has to be kept? And so what happened was that religious folks in Jesus' day, they wanted to know. And so ancient rabbis invented a system, a very carefully constructed system for figuring it out. And so they said, look, if you explicitly take an oath in the name of God, naming him as your witness, well, then, yes, you had to keep your vow. But you did have to take care in how you use the na name of God because you don't want to take his name in vain and therefore break the third of the Ten Commandments, as you can find in Exodus 20, verse 7. You have to keep your oath if you've invoked the name of God, but you do have a little more wiggle room, they said, if you swear by other things that sort of related to God but wasn't God himself. And so that's why in verse 34 through 36, you hear Jesus refer to swearing by heaven in verse 34, or swearing by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by your head. These were common things by which people in Jesus' day were swearing to keep their word. And so people would do everything that they could to give themselves an out. And if everything I just said just sounded way too complicated to follow, well, you're on to something. It was far more than a simple word of honesty this was the point to develop this elaborate rule system for the taking of vows so that there were certain combination of code words that they could say that were permissible. Like sort of like an ancient version of cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye or whatever version you grew up with or maybe even use today. Jesus is challenging our use of words. Listen, our use of words that sound like a promise, but really isn't. He's challenging the way that we use words that make you look good in the short run, but are actually meaningless in the long run. And listen to how Jesus then responds. He tells us that your words aren't suddenly binding. Only when you use some magic formula... He says, don't you know, when you swear by anything in this world, you're swearing by God because the whole world belongs to God. He made everything, and so he's attached himself to everything that there is. He's present in all of these things, too. 
And so you can't get away from God taking your promises seriously. God is a witness to every single word that we say. Which is why he concludes in verse 34 and verse 37. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Some people have taken that over the centuries and wrongly understood Jesus to mean that you should never take an oath of any kind. Is that what Jesus is saying? Never swear before a judge, never sign an affidavit, never take an oath of office. The Anabaptists took this view in the 16th century. Quakers continue to do so today. But that would be to miss Jesus' point. After all, God himself, God himself used oaths in Scripture in Genesis 22. When he's talking to Abraham, he says, By myself I have sworn, I've sworn that I will indeed bless you. And later in Matthew in chapter 26, at the end of his life, Jesus stood before the high priest who asked him under oath, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus didn't say, now my conscience doesn't permit me to respond to this question right now. No, he didn't say that. He said, I am. It is as you say, I am the Christ. When Jesus says, don't swear an oath, all you need to simply say is yes or no, what he's saying is that people of his kingdom shouldn't need an oath in order to tell the truth. He's saying people of his kingdom shouldn't need a vow and a magic formula and a solemn swearing ceremony for you to keep your word. Because people of Jesus' kingdom tell the truth even in secret. And keep their promises even when the one you promised to has forgotten that you promised in the first place. Jesus isn't saying there's anything morally wrong with legal contracts or solemn oaths. He's saying you have a problem if you can't tell the truth and keep your word without a solemn contract or a solemn legal oath. We all should tell the truth. And keep our word. It's the same lesson that's reiterated in James chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no. So what does this mean practically? Briefly, I think what Jesus tells us is it means speaking words that are first weighty. Secondly, it means speaking words of honesty. And third, it means speaking words of loyalty. Let me take a look and we'll be done. First of all, we're to speak words that are weighty. God is a witness to every word that we say. If that's true, we need to treat every word that we say as weighty, as mattering. The problem, as we noted earlier, is that we just, we just speak so casually and so flippantly. We just don't take our words or other people's words seriously anymore. We see them as feathery, as non-bindy, fleeting, soft, weak. But what if, friends, we started treating our words like diamonds? Would it change the way you spoke? One way we do this is through the simplicity 
of our communication. I mean, Jesus couldn't be clear. All you need to say is simply yes and mean it or no and mean it. What would that look like in daily life? I mean, maybe if you're a young person and your mom says, hey, could you please clean your room? What if you just responded, yes? But this is so radical, isn't it? Or what if you're late on a work project and your supervisor asks you if you've finished it? What if instead of listing a long list of excuses, you simply said, no? Because we need to treat even these two and three letter words as weighty. God is a witness to every word we say. My words to a child is just as important to my words to a judge. What would change in our speech if we made every word count? if our words were weighty. But secondly, I think Jesus clearly instructs us to engage with words of honesty. You know, that's sort of the obvious application, right? Don't lie, tell the truth. But this issue of oath-taking is fascinating. I was thinking about it this week when you pay attention to what Jesus was actually sifting through He's not just talking about people who were straight up lying in obvious ways. He's talking about ways that we make promises that we have no intention of keeping. The way in which we sort of want to sound like we're telling the truth when in fact we're trying to deceive people. Where people in his day were taking oaths, but they were making sure there was a way out. And oh, how we do that all the time. Ways in which we make exaggerations in our speech, subtle ways in which we try to deceive people to make that thing you accomplish sound just a little bit better. Or maybe it's to downplay your failure or mistake just by a little bit. The way in which we repeat words again and again to make sure that it sounds like we're serious about this commitment, but when in fact, if you really meant it, you probably wouldn't need that many words. I was talking to my daughter about this this past week where in her preschoolerhood, she kind of has gotten into this habit of apologizing like this, not just I'm sorry, but I'm so, 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 so sorry, daddy. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never, ever, ever do it again. That's a quote right? And that was only part of it. And so having to talk to her about, hey, you know, by maybe you don't realize, but by adding on so many so's and repeating it in so many ways, it actually starts to feel like you're meaning the very opposite. You're piling on too many words with this grandiosity when in fact, if you simply said, even if with tears, Daddy, I'm sorry, full stop, you would actually carry more weight in what you were communicating. Adults, it's no different with us, isn't it? 
the way in which we also bend the truth and think that it's just sort of a little white lie that doesn't count or false promises that we make. I was thinking about how easy it is to sort of casually say to a person, hey, hey, yeah, we should get together sometime. And do you really mean it? Or, hey, you know, oh, I feel so bad, you know, that you're going through this trial, and, oh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. Have you? You think about the ways in which what often drives these things underneath the surface is so much more than just lying. I mean, it's amazing it might not seem like a big deal, but Jesus tells us that there's so much more going on. He points to our hearts. That's why he lands in such a dramatic place. Maybe you said, gosh, it, it's, it, it's just too much. He says all you need to say is simply yes or no. Second half of verse 37, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You said, well, hold on a second. Holy smokes. Well, what's he pointing to? He's talking about the evil in our hearts. Here's the big question. Why are you exaggerating? Why are you repeating yourself so much? Why are you explaining yourself with so many words? Why are you not meaning what you actually say? And the answer is so often, it's fear. It's guilt. More than anything, it's a commitment to myself. Self-centeredness. Self-protection. Jesus is saying, look, underneath those little deceptions, look underneath that half oath, half lie. This past week, we were walking down our street to my kid's school place, and we looked up, and my daughter pointed out that there was a tree that was tall but had zero leaves, which was strange because across the city in the neighborhood, all the trees are just bursting with leaves, aren't they? This one had maybe three or four. And so we were talking about what possibly might be wrong with the tree. Could it be a disease? Could it have been something that went wrong with its health? Maybe we said it, the problem is down in the roots or maybe even in the soil. Everything around us that we can see looks the same, but maybe the problem is deep down where we can't see. This is where Jesus goes. The motives behind our taking of oaths and breaking of oaths. In other words, I'm, I'm learning that lying is not just not telling the truth. Lying is always hiding. Have you thought about it in those terms? Lying is always hiding. It's me making up some impression that I'm trying to make sure other people have of me whether if it's friendliness or smartness or not badness or greatness or whatever it might be. But essentially, I'm refusing to show my true self to other people. Usually, I'm scared. Mostly, I'm committed to protecting myself and some image that I have of myself. But there you go. A lie is what but a mask and a facade by which I present myself to other people. And when you do this habitually enough, little lies again and again and again, not daring to come out into the sunlight and let people see the real you, you end up forgetting how to be true. 
you end up forgetting how to be yourself because you've never actually learned to let people see your flaws and you've never actually experienced anyone love you in your flaws. You've never dared to go there, so you've never experienced the grace of being accepted as a broken human being. And some of us are just so addicted to falsehood, not realizing that underneath it is a small child that's terrified of being known, terrified of being mediocre, terrified of being forgettable or being flawed or being a sinner. When there's no place that you really would rather be than in the light of the grace of the gospel where there's a God who says, I see it all and I love all of you, come, my child, I forgive you, I know you, I cover you, I heal you, I change you, I tell the truth with you. This is your God. So you can come out, and you can be real, and you can be healed. But lying keeps you a mile away from that transformative process And lying always keeps you a mile away from true community. Why do you think you're so lonely, dear friends? Jesus pulls no punches. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from evil. Because he knows our struggle with words of honesty is always a problem of self-centeredness. Always a problem of my commitment to myself, you see. Words were given to us as a gift. They were meant to be used to love other people, to give others security, not to give ourselves a way out. Words were given to us to be used to protect others, not just to protect ourselves. Do you see the, the, the terrifying misuse of this glorious gift that God has given to you? It's a tool for love, and yet we use it to protect ourselves, our time, our convenience, our reputation, our needs. What if you use words to love? Do you see that as lying at the heart of our struggle with honesty? Will you love with words this week? Thirdly and lastly, Jesus invites us to an engagement not only with Words that are weighty and words of honesty, but finally words of loyalty. What would it look like for you to keep your promises this week? For you to be loyal to your word, to be a person of your word this week. Not just in the big things, but also in the little things. Not just with the big people, but even with the little people, however you want to define that. It might be a promise you make explicitly. Yes, I'll be there on time. Will you show up on time? I'll help you. Will you help them? It might be a promise that's implied, a promise that's understood between you two that you really still ought to keep. You may or may not realize, do you know that a, a romantic kiss is a form of commitment too? Kissed anyone lately? How are you going to make good on that implied promise, dear friends. It might be in not refusing to make a promise or commitment because you know you you have to be loyal to your word or relationship. 
You know, that way that we remain non-committal just to keep your options open, which of course is the height of self-centeredness. Everything revolves around me. Maybe promise-keeping for you this week actually is by promise-making, diving in, letting yourself be obligated. What would it look like for you to make and keep promises this week for you to be loyal to your word? And the truth of the matter is, is that we'll never be like that and we'll never do this. We'll never have our hearts changed, not deep down where the roots lie. Unless you've experienced God's loyal, life-changing words to you. Where you experience a God who has not only offered you surprising promises that only he can keep. I forgive you. I will deliver you. I do love you. But that he's a God who has yet to break a single promise to you. As we're told in 2 Corinthians 1.20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us this with great assurance. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon gives us these insightful words. Every promise of scripture is a writing of God, which may be pleaded before him with this reasonable request. Do as thou hast said. Have you pled God, pled that before God lately? Have you said, do exactly what you've promised you would do? You promised Please keep your word and have every expectation that he will. Spurgeon finishes by saying, The heavenly father will not break his word to his own child. As we sometimes sing in one of our songs, He's never failed me yet. Is that your testimony? If you don't know that of God, you will never hear loyal words and honest words coming from your own mouth. It's your experience of him and your experience of his words that will transform your own. That God has spoken weighty words to you. As we heard earlier in Matthew 5, Jesus assured us, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. Every word counts, Jesus said. Every word of mine to you counts. I haven't forgotten or snuck under any single one of them. That's his commitment to you. Do you know that? And God has spoken true words. In John 14, Jesus says about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In Revelation 3, Jesus himself is called the faithful and true witness. He has only and always been honest with you in every imaginable way. And do you see, friends, that when you start to experience God's words, it begins to change your life. His words that are true. He's loyal to his words. He keeps his words, never breaks his promises. So your words start to change. You start to value words differently. They begin to become weighty. 
when you start to hear and understand that God has told you the truth about your sin and about Christ's salvation, he saved you, then you yourself start to appreciate that his honesty has been life to you. Your honesty to someone else might be life-giving to them too. When you find yourself beginning to strive to keep your words, because your hope and confidence for this world and the next is grounded in God's faithfulness to his own word, how would you not want to be just like him? We can keep our promises. We can be people of our word, even in this coming week, because God has kept his word to us. Those who have ears, let them hear. And let them so speak. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would change our words by changing our hearts. Give us your Holy Spirit and give us life through your words, your words of grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll talk about it in a second, but first, let's sing. Savior say, your strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me. 